is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, Managing Director at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Nancy Wilson on our show today. Nancy Wilson is the founder and CEO of the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce, CANWCC, a national non-for-profit organization that advocates for women-identified business owners in Canada. Nancy is a chartered professional accountant with over a decade of accounting and finance experience in the private sector. Prior to CANWCC, she ran an accounting and advisory firm specializing in women business owners and entrepreneurs. After experiencing a lack of resources, difficulty finding connections, and numerous barriers, both as a business owner and indirectly through her clients, Nancy launched the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce in January 2018. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you. I'm, I'm so pleased to be here. Likewise. Thanks for joining us on the Thrive Podcast today. I'm really excited about our chat. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So uh, what is one thing that you want our audience to take away out of our conversation today? I'm sure there will be many key takeaways, but if you can crystallize just one. So I really want the audience uh, to, to understand that um, there are systemic barriers that exist, um, and those those barriers uh, create additional challenges for women and women-identified entrepreneurs. Um, and so, what we need to do is to really work to remove or at least mitigate those systemic barriers to allow all entrepreneurs uh, the opportunity uh, to reach their full potential. Um, the focus thus far um, has really been on um, providing individual resources and looking at individual entrepreneurs um, and uh, when it comes to women-identified entrepreneurs, really looking at them uh, in comparison to their male counterparts and, uh, to be honest, at least in the research, finding them um, generally uh, deficient um, in 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 comparison to to the standard male mo- model, um, and uh, and then when it comes to uh, any policy change, the policy change has generally fallen into what I call um, you know accommodation. So taking the existing 
<clears throat> policy, the existing system that was very much built for a different time, a different workforce profile, um, and trying to uh, accommodate um, the, the current workforce, which is very different now, uh, the current entrepreneurial ecosystem, which is very different now, and and tweaking it uh, to to accommodate what we see today. And um, and when you look at the statistics on um, on women's uh, businesses, women entrepreneurs, on other underrepresented entrepreneurs, uh, these uh, these tactics, these strategies are not working. Um, so uh, so these are the types of of issues that need to be addressed in order for us to really um, move move the needle um, and and allow great ideas, great entrepreneurs to to achieve their potential. Mm. And, and so you've spoken to this a little bit throughout that whole uh, answer, which is fantastic. But was there a specific moment where you decided to create the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce? What was that specific catalyst that prompted the creation of this group? Yeah, so as you said um, in introducing me, I worked for over a decade in uh, the private sector corporate roles, had my own um, experiences uh, with gender issues there, uh, left the private sector, opened up um, my own shop, and um, had my first taste of running my own business as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, faced a lot of of those challenges, heard the same challenges echoed back to me uh, from my clients, and and really uh, knew that something something bigger had to change. Uh, I was really really tired of uh, talking about workarounds um, to try to fit into a, a system that I thought. Uh, really wasn't built for, well, absolutely wasn't built for us. Mm. Um, And, you know, I felt that uh, we were spending a lot of our time, uh, a lot of our resources, a lot of our energy, simply um, maintaining our our businesses as opposed to getting ahead um, in in this overall system. So um, it's probably no surprise uh looking back that uh this was also around the time that me the me too movement was was peaking although i hesitate to say that because there's a lot of uh very strong emotional reactions um when you bring up me too i could talk about that all day long i have a lot of very strong feelings about that but let's just put that to the side for a minute um but you know I definitely had not detoxed out of my my private sector experience. So mm-hmm. I, my level of um, uh, let's say frustration uh, with uh, with the gender inequality in in, in the world was at an all time high. Mm-hmm. And someone mentioned to me, uh, someone in my network. Uh, another female entrepreneur mentioned that Canada didn't have a women's chamber of commerce, which completely uh, shocked me. Mm. I knew that they existed in countries all over the world. Uh, the United States had a women's chamber of commerce mm-hmm. at the at the national level, various state levels. Um, and when I found out that that was true, 
I, uh, you know, I went home that day and immediately started researching how to start a chamber of commerce in Canada. Fantastic. And, you know, I, I was familiar with chambers of commerce Mm -hmm. and, and how they worked. And I thought, you know, this is, this is what we need to do. We need to leverage, um, a powerful agent, um, a powerful system like the chamber of commerce system, um, that has, um, a history, um, a label, a brand, so to speak. And, and use that on behalf of a group that, um, that usually doesn't get the benefit of a powerful historic social institute, or not a political institution, mm-hmm, but, but an institution, a, a, an, an institution nonetheless. And, and that, that was my goal in starting a chamber of commerce versus, um, another not-for-profit group for women. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's exactly what happened. So we launched in January of 2018. And, um, you know, within the first three or four months, I was being invited um, to come to Ottawa to meet with um, policymakers at the, the Ministry of uh, Small Business. So, uh, so that, that's the story. Fantastic. And here we are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so what is the, the mission of the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce? If you could kind of crystallize it in a few few sentences and, and why should every woman entrepreneur know about it as opposed to just using uh, the traditional mechanism of, of another Chamber of Commerce? Sure. Uh, so our mission is uh, to shape the future of women's entrepreneurship in Canada. Uh, we made it purposefully broad um, because what we want to do is um, is take our cues directly from our members. So um, what we're doing is we we're building a national network of of women entrepreneurs who are building strong, sustainable businesses, and then we um, we reach out directly to our members and ask them, "What are you experiencing?" Um, what are your challenges? What do you need um, and want to be successful? We view our members as uh, subject matter experts. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe they are ambitious and competent and absolutely able to advocate uh, for themselves mm-hmm. um, and, and identify uh, what, what they need. Mm-hmm. And so we ask them, we listen to them, <laughs> which is a key part. Huge. Yeah. And then we, we take what they tell us, uh, translate it into an advocacy agenda. And then we do the heavy lifting um, while they, you know, uh, spend time running their businesses as they mm-hmm. should. And, and take that um, advocacy agenda um, as well as recommendations directly to policymakers and say, this is what real women running real businesses need to be successful. And if you are saying that you care about women entrepreneurs who are your constituents, you need to make that happen. Mm, that's so powerful. And, and yeah, from, from their mouths to, to your ears, but then you are the platform um, to really have an amplification um, effect on, on real voices and real opinions. And that, that's a really incredible position to be in. Yeah. Fantastic. So what are the biggest resources that you've been able to provide um, that didn't exist before you started the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce? 
Right. So I've, uh, I've talked about uh, leveraging the, the Chamber of Commerce system. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that would be the obvious answer. Uh, the other things um, that we're doing is uh, there's other ways that we're leveraging the, the Chamber of Commerce um, label brand system. Um, it, it allows us to build really strong partnerships mm-hmm. with brands. So we're able to, um, to build those partnerships and provide discounts on products and services to, um, to our members. Uh, to, to save them money on on what they need to to run their businesses. Operate their businesses. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We also, another part of our partner network is, um, is pr- organizations that run programming and provide um, tools and resources. These are usually not-for-profits um, across Canada. And so what we want to do is to provide um, referral to... Uh, to vetted resources. So I know when I was running my business, I spent so much time on Google looking for resources. And I, I live in Toronto, so I mean, we, we're um, awash with, mm-hmm. with resources. But part of it is finding what's out there, finding out if it's right for my business, and then deciding like which, which way to go. Mm. Other, other people, you know, you can, you can go two, two and a half hours north of Toronto and the resources dry up very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is to build a database so that we're able to, um, to actually refer our members very effectively to, to programs and resources in their area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing we're doing is uh, providing a community of uh, like-minded women-identified entrepreneurs across the country um, that cuts through all, all the typical silos that you find um, when, when you try to um, enter these networking groups. Mm. So, you know, we're, we're breaking across geographical barriers. Um, we, it's all industries, all levels of business maturity and people really get onto, we have an online community platform where people can chat and meet each other and post articles and post information about their business. And there's a lot of really great informal information sharing and, and peer mentoring going on between, um, between women who, otherwise wouldn't have a chance to to meet one another. That's that's great to hear. And I love this model of, of focusing on leverage, that you're trying to connect people to relevant vetted resources so that that is not the heavy lift on the part of, of the, the women business owner, that um, you can be kind of that one-stop shop to, to guide them in the right direction. And then they can do more heavy lifting and be more productive in that space as, as opposed to spending all of their time Googling and you know going down that whole rabbit hole. Absolutely. So, I mean, what what I struggled with um, when we when I first started the organization is the you know in order to be financially sustainable as an organization, um, we need to charge uh, membership fees. That's that's very standard for for a chamber of commerce. Um, I, but I also understand that um, you know people want 
to receive something of value when they put out some money. That's very understandable. And, you know, the focus of our members is very much um, on running their business building their business today, tomorrow, next week, next year. And advocacy, as much as someone may be interested in, in advocacy, you know, I live and breathe advocacy, um, but, but that's my job. Um, and so we needed to combine um, the, the short and medium term um, strategic ob- objectives of helping our, our members become successful in their businesses, as well as the longer-term goal of advocacy and, and policy change. And so our membership offering provides both mm. um, resources to help our members be successful now, um, as well as communication with our members to, uh, to inform our, our advocacy agenda. And um, so I think that we offer a really robust um, membership offering that kind of covers covers all bases. And of course, I mean, the more it, like it all it all fits together because the more successful our our members are, and the more successful they become, the stronger our our advocacy platform will be. Mm. Yeah, that's sort of mutually reinforcing. Absolutely. Mm, fantastic. So bringing it sort of even more high level outside of um, just your work with, with the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce, what do you think it really needs to be done system, uh, systemically um, that makes a more equitable entrepreneurship ecosystem? Like what are other, um, you know, bigger conversations we need to be having to make sure that um, it's not just coming from organizations, but that this is embedded in our entire entrepreneurship ecosystem now? Right. So, so I think that there are two things um, that need to happen. Number one, I think that we need to re-examine um, something that I call, you know, the cult of women's entrepreneurship. Mm, yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> so I think that um, this concept of women's entrepreneurship, which is very much directed at the individual, um, the individual empowering an individual entrepreneur um, is an excellent way to distract from these larger systemic changes that need to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it also is a very sneaky way to focus on um, the uh, potential deficits um, of of a single uh, woman, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and I find that a lot of the focus of women's empowerment um, is a bit of a roundabout way to fix or change women um, and and their businesses. Um, so as opposed to changing a larger system that doesn't value um, women's assets or strengths to begin with and doesn't value uh, women's businesses, which may look and, and act um, and be built differently than what, um, what may be the standard business model. Mm. Um, and so trying you know, the term empowerment itself 
it really uh, refers to someone in a position of power giving or doling out their power to a less powerful individual. And, um, you know, I'm no linguistics professor or anything, mm. but I mean, that, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. But I mean, it, it really is capturing what's happening um, as, as opposed to, um, you know, really broadening um, larger power structures to include everybody. Mm-hmm. So what I think is that um, instead of focusing on this, um, you know, women's empowerment on a on a case-by-case individual basis we really do need to change our focus to larger systems and structures at play um and 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 just you know be real uh and and honest about what's going on um you know we're not going to change things that we don't acknowledge and so Mm. um you know, if we don't acknowledge the fact that that certain systems um, that that there isn't sort of um, a real problem with, let's say, the the tech industry um, and systemic um, sexism within the tech industry, that is that has been shown time and time again with um, uh, with the retention figures of, uh, of women and, uh, in, in tech, tech jobs in the, in the sector. I mean, that's, that's never going to change. So these things just need to be, um, acknowledged and, and dealt with somehow. I don't have all the answers. Mm. Um, but, uh, but focusing on changing individuals is not going to change the system. That's so interesting. Yeah. And it's almost that um, an effort to profile individuals of saying, hey, you know, you can be like this specific woman or trying to show um, and and demonstrate um, individuals has been such an intentional approach, I think, from a comms perspective that so many organizations are trying to do. Uh, But but that I see kind of masking this overall um, issue that you're speaking to. So that's that's a really interesting comment. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I don't think that it is necessarily their intention, but when you look at the women's, the women's entrepreneurship strategy, I mean, the, the, the stated goal for it is to double the number of women entrepreneurs by 2025. But, but is that the best metric to use? Do we simply want to increase the number of women entrepreneurs? I mean, the transactional cost of starting a business is, is quite low for, for all entrepreneurs. What is difficult is to build and and grow a strong sustainable business so what what types of uh, policies are in place to to support new women entrepreneurs um, after they start that business or is is the metric simply well we just want to see more more um, more women entrepreneurs having started a business. I mean, that, that just sounds like a, a, a recipe to fail. And, and that metric itself may only be measuring the number of, of women exiting traditional full-time employment because they don't find that, that their career expectations are being fulfilled there. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of issues with that metric. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's such a great point and and, and an important um, position for you to have in these advocacy conversations. And when you come to the Hill and, and you're representing that voice, um, that you're really driving that home, um, I think that that's really key uh, and, and something for me to reflect on as well, because um, I, I have not thought about it that way, to be honest. So yeah. that's, that's an important aha moment, I think. Yeah. So, hmm. so then... Uh, the second thing that I think needs to happen um, is is for us, for everyone to change their mindset around uh, what is an acceptable timeline for gender equality and diversity and inclusion um, initiatives. So everyone has seen, it, everyone seems to accept that you know, slow and steady progress is, is just the way this is going to happen. And Mm -hmm. I completely disagree with that. I think if we look at, um, the pace of change around technology, um, around the way we live our lives, uh, the way we build relationships, how we meet people online now, and we date this way, like we, we accept really rapid, drastic change in all areas of our lives, and I think we need to um, we need to demand um, that gender equality, diversity, and inclusion are important enough that there are moral imperatives behind it that our community are uh, that the value of other human beings in our community are important enough that we need to demand that that change happen extremely rapidly and it needs to happen now mm-hmm. yeah i love that yeah demand for urgent change um that for sure so so what's the first step um in, in doing that what's what's a, another mechanism for that perspective to be brought to the table outside of through your organization so i i think that when I think that we really have to call people out mm. and and ask them really tough questions that forces them to uh, to empathize. Mm. So an example is this. Um, so when I hear men speak about um, about women's issues or about uh, gender equality, I hear a lot of men who have probably um, decided to to join an initiative or to join a committee, talk about um, the fact that they really care about this because they have a daughter. And there was a, a, a research uh, report done or a, a research study done in 2011, I think, um, that shows that men, uh, heterosexual men that have... Um, uh, that have uh, a daughter versus a son um, are more likely to show um, rejection or, or are less likely to endorse traditional gender roles, uh, which, you know, kind of makes some common sense. Mm-hmm. Like they, they now have this, this daughter that they really mm-hmm. want to kind of um, see her succeed and not. Yeah. They have a vested interest. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So, the problem with that is that, I mean, there's there's no problem per se, um, but that interest is based on um, a timeline involving the next generation. Hmm. It the vested interest doesn't necessarily include his coworkers. Mm. 
experiencing um, that brighter future that he mm-hmm. sees for his daughter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I would say I, I would challenge him to say and say, well, what if your daughter, uh, you know, was coming to to work at your company tomorrow? Mm. What would you want your company to look like? What would you want your policies to be like? What would you want your coworkers to act like? if your daughter came to work with you tomorrow and what, what would you be prepared to give up or change to make that a a great environment for your daughter to work in? Yeah. Very interesting. Because unless we can get people to empathize effectively um, with people who are not themselves and it is not, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, I cannot imagine what it's Mm -hmm. like to be a woman of color I'll, I'll never be able mm-hmm. to truly put myself in that position. Um, but a woman of color can challenge me by asking me those really tough questions um, that only she can, can formulate to, to push me um, to, to develop some insight into what that experience is like. And that's the only way that we can kind of get closer to, to figuring out what needs to change um, in our perspective and in, in the way that, that we view the world so that we are motivated internally um, to, to change. And, and if in the absence of internal motivation, there needs to be some kind of external framework that, that moves things along. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And what what do you see being that external framework? I'm I'm undecided. It's a big yeah, question. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm undecided about that. I mean, I've 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 had some mm. uh, debates with folks about quotas and stuff. I mean, it's mm-hmm. quotas seem to have worked in 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 some other countries, and I'm not a hundred percent against it. I'm 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 on the fence, but I do know that you know, things need to change rapidly and, and mm-hmm. things are not changing things. Things are very much stalled. So, um, so maybe, maybe we do need something drastic. Like, uh, I, I just don't know. Honestly, I, I don't have the answers on that, but it's something I think about often. Yeah. And I'm sure if there was an easy button for this process, somebody would have thought thought about it and, and tried to implement it, that this is, is such a complicated um, conversation and, and um, far reaching that we, we want to do this right as well, right? You don't want to be going down a path um, to potentially um, compromise um, the intended goal by not doing it correctly. Um, so I think some thought needs to be paid for sure. But I, I love your focus on really focusing about today um, instead of this future generation conversation that um, it does feel like a little bit of a crutch uh, when you're giving that example of, you know, uh, my the future generation and, and, you know, my daughter and wanting to build this ecosystem for her to be thriving and supported later on. Um, it almost is a bit of a cop out in, in a way because it's saying, OK, you know, I I'm an ally or I advocate for this concept, but I'm not willing to make any trade offs in this moment um, outside of the vested interests I have in, in my daughter's sort of abstract future. Uh, that's such an interesting takeaway that, that I will definitely reflect on. Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, it uh, I I see that sometimes um, reflected in 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 the way my my dad operates. I mean, my mm. my dad 
is sort of one of those guys who um, he's not he's not a bad guy, but he just he 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 can't conceive of. Uh, some of the experiences that my sister and I have had over the years, and why? Why would he? I mean, he's he's yeah. he's a white male, um, and so when I talk to him about some of these things, he kind of just shakes his head and looks at me like, I don't know if that's really happening. And it's like, yes, yes, mm-hmm. it is, Dad. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's. Um, you know, he's, he's my dad. So I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to kind of just pat him on the back and say, yeah, it's okay. I mean, obviously I love him. If, if, yeah. if he was someone that I didn't feel so affectionate towards, I, his attitude, I'm sure would anger me much, uh, a lot more. But I mean, I, I, I understand if, if, if it doesn't touch your life, it is very hard to, um, to spend time caring about it. Mm. And yeah, that's such a human thing that we all need to be better at of trying to have that empathy and that level of awareness and self-awareness of the privilege that many of us come from and recognizing that just because it doesn't affect us directly does not mean that it is not important, um, that we need to recognize that very actively and accept that challenge function, as you were saying, um, and invite that challenge function in in the best interest of supporting everyone. Um, And I think we need to develop thicker skin in that context as well to invite and encourage those those more challenging conversations that make us uncomfortable um, in the spirit of, of growth and exactly as you're saying, rapid, rapid change. Um, that by kind of skirting around these challenging conversations, we kind of keep pushing things into the future. So we need to be having these conversations now and being accountable for the resulting action immediately. Absolutely. I think that, you know, having having a systemic view, sort of a framework of under understanding the systemic forces and the sort of cultural um, um, schema and, mm. and gender roles that that we're exposed to from the moment we're born. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all grow up um, being exposed to this culture um, with a lot of really heavy uh, messages about w- you know, what is good, what is bad, how to act. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's not, um, it's not unusual to have these sort of deeply ingrained um, values or this, this unconscious bias. And I think that we would be a lot further along if, if people kind of accepted that they had absorbed Mm -hmm. these cultural messages and that it doesn't, as a white woman, it doesn't make me a bad person to acknowledge that I have some of those biases. What I, it doesn't excuse bad behavior. What I need to do is to constantly challenge myself to kind of fight against those biases that I've, I've absorbed by growing up in the culture and try to, um, try to act in, in the most um, enlightened way that I can while I'm kind of warring against these, these um, messages that I've, I've absorbed by, by growing up 
uh, in in the culture. Mm. Yeah, and exactly as you say, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. So that being foundational to to everything. Um, so I, I love that that idea and that uh, that reminder. I think that we can all take home today. You know, uh, that uh, I think that's a really actionable um, you know moment of reflection that everybody can sort of take from today's podcast. So thank you for that. Yeah. So wrapping up, um, how can our listeners get involved with the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce and, you know, keep these conversations going, uh, being uh, surrounded by other like-minded um, women and and really trying to break down some of these systemic um, barriers to women in entrepreneurship? So uh, we have a great website. Um, mm-hmm. It's got lots of information there. Um, it's You can uh, get to the website at canwcc.ca. So that's C-A-N-W-C-C dot C-A. And uh, it also has links to all of our social media channels. So we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Fantastic. Well, this has been such a fantastic conversation, Nancy. Thanks for joining us on the Thrive Podcast today. Uh, Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. Visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Matthew Curtis and plug in to the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to thrive.